This is a Restless Reaction. Welcome back to Restless, where we talk new Calvinism, and we cover the good, the bad, and the Driscoll here on the show. We do a lot of covering the Driscoll. (laughs) We do, and we are staying on that theme today. Are we not, Pastor Michael? Thanks for joining us. That's right. That's right. Uh, we are we are still on the Driscoll train. Pastor Mark, as always, we'd love to have you on the show. And in this case, as well, Stephen Crowder, uh, we'd love to have you yourself on the show here. Because a few weeks ago, we asked people to help us get to 25 reviews. And once we did, we would go back to the ever, ever flowing well that is Driscoll for material for the Restless podcast. And after we got so, we actually asked people on various social media what Driscoll they'd like us to do. We gave them the option of some of Driscoll's 2020 best of rants put out by he and his church or an interview by Steven Crowder on uh, a reoccurring segment he has called Ash Wednesday. And Pastor Mike, what won by a, in the end, a pretty large landslide was this interview with Steven Crowder. Did anybody vote for the for the other one? Did we get a couple? Early on, it looked like it was going to be really close. And I think Michael and I will eventually find a way to do some bonus content through uh, modern day Driscoll. Because uh, I think it would be... I think it would be fascinating to it would be, see some of that. Because I've not seen any of it. But I actually think that points out the exact reason why this won. I think the restless audience are not people who are currently listening to Driscoll's preaching. Probably not. But I do think they're the kind of people who may watch Steven Crowder. And when they heard Driscoll was going on a show, they probably like me watched it as they were really interested. Yeah, absolutely. And as I think we'll find, I think it probably left them wondering exactly what to think about all that was going on. Yeah, it's strange have Driscoll come on YouTube show. It's like the largest YouTube news show. I know it's like a late night comedy type show, but uh, it's also technically, I think, in the news genre on YouTube. So it's technically like the largest YouTube news site. They are larger than the Young Turks now. There's five, what is it, 5.24 million subscribers. Again, uh, Mr. Crowder be great to have you on the show that probably boost our numbers at least for a little bit until people listen and they're like oh wait a minute <laughs> wait yeah, this nothing. isn't what i thought it was yeah and, <laughs> and this video from november of 2020 has nearly half a million views itself so we're going to walk through a number of clips that i've pulled and we're just going to react to them live so now's the time if it is an appropriate hour wherever you live as it is where i am Uh, to pour up a glass of something strong and enjoy. So this first clip, I thought it was only fair that we start here is because one of our recent shows that had some, that was very popular was us listening to TGC, some big TGC guys talk about complementarianism. So here is Driscoll talking to uh, Mr. Steven Crowder about said same topic. And a big part of, I think, what maybe rubbed people the wrong way is you've always, and now this is more important than ever, the idea of masculinity and and gender roles. And actually, yeah. as really I would say a teenager, I learned about the idea of complementarianism 
from you. I think you were the first person I heard use that term. Um, can you maybe explain for people who don't understand, who they just think, yeah. oh, that's misogyny or chauvinism. It's not. It's a biblical worldview of men and women. Well, well, first of all, sex, gender, marriage, and sexuality used to be sequenced. You're born male, you do masculine things, and then you marry a girl and have a family. And now it's all the spectrum. Right. And the result is... This stream just got banned, by the way, but yeah. continue. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, I was on, uh, I was preaching uh, a men's deal a couple weeks ago, and Facebook kicked me off because in my prayer, I prayed for more men and less government. Really? Yeah, apparently that's Amen. controversial. They provided you an explanation that yeah, that's what they so, Yeah, we, whatever the standards are. I mean, okay. I, I love the fact that Facebook is going to talk to the pastor about standards. That's, right. that's adorable. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Zuckerberg is sitting there going, mm, it doesn't standards. my moral standards. But part of it is like what we've done right now is we have turned the Democratic Party into the mommy party. Right. And if you're hurt, call mommy. You need something, call mommy. And it's a whole generation that never had a dad. Right. And so to me, many of the urban problems, many of the social cultural problems are lack of men who take responsibility for their family and especially for their children. It's 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 a crisis. And you've talked about that with Black Lives Matter, too. You know, I did this change my mind. Black Lives Matter is a domestic mm -hmm. terrorist organization. And I said, because if you look at actually what they stand for on their website, you basically look at their charter. It's dismantling the nuclear family, right. which means we want less fathers. Right. And it's like that is the so there's a guy, Bradford Wilcox. He is the leading sociologist in this sphere. He's at the University of Virginia. He did the largest data analysis of of family well-being and marriage. And he said, literally, the best thing you can do is to have a father, husband in the home that's yeah. in the Bible, praying, going to church, lowest domestic violence, lowest adultery, lowest child abuse, lowest poverty, highest test scores for kids. Everything's off the charts. More likely to graduate college, to not end up in prison, to have a family of their own. Exactly. Good fathers. Yeah, it's the single greatest economic indicator of success. Pastor Michael, how did Mark Driscoll do enunciating the biblical teaching of complementarianism in that clip? Well, he didn't really talk about what exactly complementarianism is. He definitely didn't even talk about the like the biblical side of things. Although what he talked about was great. <laughs> I mean, I'm like I'm with it. This is I do think this is you're, why especially you're, in, you're into the 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 more men less government in your uh, pastoral prayers. Yeah, praise God. You know, like that sounds that sounds fantastic. The whole idea of of you know we've talked about one of the reasons that. Uh, someone like Driscoll and a lot of the Young Restless Reform guys uh, were able to gain so much momentum early on, especially amongst young men, is because some of them, especially Driscoll, uh, were willing to use some kind of masculinity, you know, both in the pulpit and talk about masculinity and the importance of masculinity. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of this uh, intersection of kind of the growing the growing, uh, you know, manosphere at the same time in the online world, you know, these guys were able to hit that on uh, a church level and it was mm -hmm. needed, right? I mean, it, it's still needed. The, the rise of feminism and egalitarianism in the church is still a massive problem. Uh, and so that kind of thing was needed. Now, is it the most helpful way to go about it? No, right? It would have been great for him to use this opportunity, I would think, to say, yeah, look at what the scripture says and teaches. Now, it would be hard, right? It's a talk mm -hmm. show. Uh, I, it's not maybe the setting to do in-depth biblical exegesis. Uh, but everything else he said, I, I mean, I'm with it so far. So yeah, far, yeah. it sounds great. I think that the, the credit I want to give to Don Carson and Tim Keller is uh, Mark Driscoll likewise gets an F at explaining anything what the Bible <laughs> says about complementarianism in that clip. Yes. And again, I think he's, but he's doing it for a different audience, right? I don't know who that audience for what they were doing is for, but what Driscoll's doing is the same 
thing just for the like conservative talk audience. Also, he's and smooth, I, man. He's like he's got the lines down. He's got certain yep. lines that he definitely has just just straight memorized. Like this is uh, this is what he's going to say. He's ready for it. So let's give Driscoll one more chance on this topic. I think this next clip, he's talking to the kind of maybe for our more red pilled listeners, the kind of uh, who would be familiar with the kind of men going their own way, right? Uh, Crowder brings up men who who don't want to get married in the current context. How you deal with that as a past? Because I've talked about that in the show, and I say no because obviously my God says a man who finds a good wife finds what is good. And they're like, yeah, what about when she walks off with half your stuff? It's like, well, pick right. So that's, do you run into that quite a bit now? Yeah, and I mean, it's really hard if you are a man who says, we're going to have what would be a traditional family. Right. I'm going to do something crazy and go get a job. I mean, now we're, now we're just. I had no idea you were so nutty. Crazy, yeah. And then Pastor Alex say, Jones over here. Let's say we're going to have kids. You know, we're going to ruin the environment and put more people on the planet. And then mom is shuddered to think, <laughs> going to nurture them and stay home and be mom. The problem becomes in most states, if you get divorced, the parent who spends the most time with the children becomes the custodial parent. Right. And so if you're the dad saying, I'm working really hard to free up mom so that the kids have a focused parent, it actually works against you if the marriage dissolves. Right. And so, and, and in certain states, it's it's really, really difficult for the men to get the home, to get the kids. To, I mean, it, it really is a tough deal. Yeah, like in California. So what do you say to, to men who argue that? Not that they're against the idea of marriage because it's a, it's a construct of patriarchy, but because marriage has been destroyed by sort of modern feminist alimony laws because that's a different contingency. How do you uh, message to those people? Pick slow. Don't just find a cute girl, move in and, you know, roll the dice. I mean, right. pick slow, pick smart and uh, be in a community of support that can help nurture that relationship and reinforce the values. Right. Um, because ultimately, if you are just isolated as a couple and you hit conflict, there's nobody to mediate that. Eventually, it's going to end up in a, in a, in a war of some sort. And as soon as you get the lawyers, you just start setting money on fire. and Nobody wins. Right. So, Pastor Michael, how did Pastor Mark handle the, the MGTOW men? Well, it's still sociology. Right. I mean, so all, all he said at this point is sociology, which is maybe what makes Driscoll like he's always been good at like reading the room and kind of understanding who he's talking to and being able to, you know, very smoothly uh, change what he's saying for the right kind of audience. And uh, like he knows what he's doing. He's doing it very specifically. I think that is the takeaway. If there's something you could if there's something someone could learn from Driscoll watching this is he knows who he's talking to. And he knows how to talk to them. Again, I think that there is biblical teaching on marriage that men who think marriage has been ruined need to hear that he's, right. again, not giving. He's not giving it. Yeah, and some of the stuff he's saying, obviously, it's still true, but it would be really helpful to do that. Even that he's like, yeah, be a part of a, you know, a strong community. You, you could just say a church. Uh, mm -hmm. What's interesting is that he's if I remember this interview, right, there's at least one point where he talks about like, uh, I think, I think he talks about anxiety as being directly demonic. He talks about something like anxiety yeah. or depression or something like that as yep. like always being demonic. Like there's a demon behind it all the time. And so he's not like afraid to say kind of right. weird out there stuff or that will, what will sound weird and out there for a lot of the people listening to the show but he's not saying, you know, hey, well, here's right. what the Bible says about it. Here's here's a scripture passage. Here's why you should be a part of a church. Uh, yeah. you know, it is important to pick right. And here's what the Bible says about picking right. There's a whole book called Proverbs. It's basically about that. It's about picking yep. the right wife. You know, like yeah. this is important because there are like there are horrible women out there and the scripture talks about them. Yeah. Yeah. And I should just note, we are playing Driscoll and Crowder at 1.2 speed. So, yeah, I, I think, again, I think it is. 
Driscoll knows how to read the room and he is going into this space where, you know, obviously there aren't other, there aren't other pastors right generally here. And so what, let, what pastor uh, in kind of the big evangelical world would ever go on Steven Crowder's show? You know, like this is like, like instantly you are barred from ever going to, you know, what right. an ERLC event, a gospel coalition <laughs> event together for the gospel, like any of those things, like you're not going to get anywhere near them. If you or, start to associate with people like Steven Crowder. And there's probably an easier way to get banned from those things. And it's start a podcast called restless where you review <laughs> their material. So I'm still now, holding out hope I'm available yeah. whenever the next gospel coalition, uh, conference is I'm available. Probably the main stage as, as a normal <laughs> pastor. Right. Um, so, so let's play a clip where it gets to the kind of one of the things Driscoll was famous in the new Calvinism for his yelling. Mark Driscoll does not partake, not because he's a man of the cloth, but because he has asthma like Piggy and Laura. Well, I used to. I'm, I'm healed now. Well, pretty soon I'm going to grab your sunglasses. Yeah, but when you preach for a living, fire. you know, it's you yell for a living, you just be wild. Is that, well, what kind of preaching are you doing where you yell for a living? I yell for an hour every sermon. I just feel like an hour is a good time and <laughs> just berate people. Yeah, massive is the right volume. So to me, this is about meeting the volume level of the culture. And if something is important, usually uh, there's passion, there's intensity, there's clarity, and sometimes the volume level changes. And I, I'm a preacher. I'm not a talk giver. I'm not a motion, motivational speech giver. I mean, you could see this even out on the campaign trail. Um, you know, it's why the rallies were huge. Right. The energy level was different. And so For Biden, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, people, the kids couldn't get <laughs> couldn't enough. Have, it, was like it was like the British <laughs> yeah, invasion. It was crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, but for me, it's like when everything is so complicated right now, so confusing, and I think the average person is just like, what happened to the planet? What happened to the world that I grew up in? Where are we going? What are we doing? It takes a it takes a lot of volume and clarity to cut through the noise and say, here's where we're at, here's what's going on, here's the problem, yeah. here's the solution, and then try and drive the conversation, you know, instead of just to the right or the left. As a pastor, I'm trying to drive the conversation up. Right. Is there a God over all of this? And does he have any help for those of us who are in it? Pastor Michael, how how much yelling do you do on a Sunday morning? I want to do more. I want to work on my yelling. <laughs> get really, really more aggressive and passionate than I am. It's interesting. I was just thinking, even while he was talking, I was just trying to think about Christ himself and Christ preaching. Because you could say that there is a, like, there is a kind of pro prophetic preaching that might be considered a kind of yelling today, or like, a you know, obviously it's not always exactly yelling. Like uh, we have seen some from Driscoll and others. Right. But uh, it is a, you know, there's a, a directness and a bluntness, but also uh, often when, when Christ was preaching outside of maybe when he's, he's clearing the temple uh, outside of that, it seems like most of the time it was, it was not like that. It was calm. It was thoughtful. It was careful. Um, it wasn't done in heated emotive language. Right. And I, I think again, right. I, I, I agree. Right. John the Baptist preaching was likely very aggressive, right? Right. Uh, Luther, That's the other person I was thinking about being more aggressive, probably. Right. John Luther the was probably aggressive. John Knox was aggressive, but again, these are uh, likely um, not not normative, right? Um, even in what they might have been called, God might have called them to do. But and I'll get to a difference. But but do you know? But what I found so striking listening to him talk about why he's yelling right it's obviously very funny to say like i just feel like an hour is a good time and you know <laughs> you know like again right we we've talked right the guy's 
it feels like maybe he's lost his uh, fastball a little bit, but why, why is he yelling? He's doing it. He's doing it for cultural reasons. And I'm, and I'm not saying that the culture might not call for confrontation. Certainly. I, I think Michael and I perhaps even more than, than some reform people think that we're probably at a point of confrontation, but again, what is what is driving the preaching style it's you know it's not what yeah yeah, it's not what michael is talking about this you know this this thoughtfulness and and because here's the other thing even these aggressive preachers uh, i obviously i can't speak as much we don't know you know as much about john the baptist's ministry as we just have from historical records of luther knox and and the like while they were very aggressive very direct do you know what they also were it was all very carefully planned and written, right? Yeah. It was, you know, there was there was a lot of thought and, and carefulness behind it. And you know so- what I'm just thinking too is, like I said just a little bit ago, I love that, you know, Driscoll like talks about masculinity. I love that he talks about, you know, the importance of fathers in the home. That's great. But one of the issues that seemed to come out of the whole Mars Hill situation was the the kind of false masculinity, the bravado. Uh, and really that, like you think about the yelling, well, if you're a dad and you're yelling all the time, or even if you're a man, you're yelling sure, all the time. Yeah. If you're a pastor and you're yelling all the time, but what that actually shows is not that you're in control. It doesn't show strength, right? Yeah, if you're, if you have true. to yell all the time at your kids, it shows that they have zero respect for you. And you're just like, you're trying to regain. Now I'm not saying that there's never a time to yell. There probably is a time to yell, but it's, it's not often. And so I just, you know, obviously we're kind of nitpicking this maybe. I don't know if, you know, he's sitting down with a, you know, conservative comedian kind of vulgar guy who's smoking a cigar, calling it Ash Wednesday. Yeah. (laughs) And he's just, you know, he's just kind of talking, you know, so I I, I want to give a little bit of grace there. Yeah. But we are, but we're trying to look, we're trying to look to this to, to get, questions to the answers that i think the the reason people wanted us to talk about this yeah i'm just and, thinking and about I, christ again christ being the most masculine right the right. The, the, the epitome of masculinity um, not like driscoll has helpfully pointed out the kind of you know girly pictures of mm-hmm. christ that have been used for a long time but like he, i mean he was a masculine guy he was a carpenter his disciples were fishermen right they were right. they were going to be people who were probably using a lot of language that we wouldn't appreciate in our churches and he is the epitome of masculinity and yet his strength was not shown in his aggression right. his strength is shown in his meekness right. you know like like he was so strong he was so in control that he didn't he would he didn't have to shout all the time he didn't have to yell he didn't have to like do this this weird bravado thing uh, because it was obvious he taught as one with authority you know right. and and everywhere christ went everyone knew he was dangerous right right. right sometimes they asked him to leave because of that right right the reason the pharisees hated him is they were afraid of what he would say next this is a helpful example. I actually don't know what this next clip is. I just had it labeled pastor. So uh, <laughs> let's give it a try. We'll see if it's a bust. Why do you think that they've acquiesced? Why do you think that so many, especially sometimes in states where they don't have to? Okay, sorry. So, this is uh, Crowder has just asked him. Uh, obviously, everyone's talking Corona. Uh, I mostly left all that out because we are not a current events show here. We are a current events of 10 years ago show. But 
He asked Driscoll why why pastors are acquiescing to closing their churches even when they don't have to. And so that's that's what he's asking. This will be kind of, the, you know, we're going to have this weird pastor talk. So this is cool. I'm, uh, I'm happy to have it. I love pastors. I married a pastor's daughter. Okay. And uh, my five kids serve in ministry with me and all love Jesus and believe the Bible. I just met three of them three out there. Three of the boys, yeah. I brought Wonderful them. Wonderful boys. But a lot of times in a nonprofit system, the governance and board structure makes it very hard for the pastor to do what he wants to do. And so what happens is, let's say you got a board and they're all of arguing course. and fighting. And, this is know, why I left this. There's in. political intrigue and this group wants to open and this one wants closed and this one wants mass and this one doesn't want mass and this one wants to talk about politics and this one doesn't and this one wants to put BLM on the church hashtag for social media and, and this one wants to make America great again. And then the pastor needs to make a decision. If he's got a board, he's got a battle. Right. And so there's a lot of pastors that I'm when talking there are to. other guys uh, who my have 200 to of be involved them that I trained last week. Decisions. And uh, yep. they're really this depressed because they're like, the board votes and I have to do what the board says, but that's not what I believe in or agree with. Right. So Pastor Michael, why, why did this clip make the cut? <laughs> yes. So this was the problem, right? This was yes. the, the unaccountability of celebrity pastors right here. Uh, you know, they don't let me do the things I want to do. Well, that's, you know, sometimes that's the purpose. Now, I, I know that there are some of these churches uh, where there are men who are totally unqualified, who are on the board, and they like they are moving things in a bad direction or it is you know i've been to horrible church meetings before right where where people who have right. a vote are in control uh in some way or another like it is just awful and they're not thinking about things how they should and it's all business decisions or or something like that um this shows the need by the way for biblical elders men who are chosen according to the scripture, according to the qualifications in First Timothy three and elsewhere, uh, this shows the importance of having you know these men chosen carefully. Uh, that those who are like clearly distinguished, who have proven themselves to be honorable men, that they would be given the honor of leading in this way. So it's obviously important. But the minute that you see it as here's the pastor, and then here's you know the yes. other people, the other people leading the board, whatever. It's a like CEO that, and the right, board. The CEO. It's, it's it's already a problem. No, yep. you. You should be one among many, right? We have in in uh, Presbyterianism in our, our church, we have what we call is parity. There's parity among the elders, uh, meaning there are different kinds of elders in the PCA anyway, where we have teaching elders, those who labor more in preaching and teaching and administering the sacraments, what we might call pastors usually. And then we have ruling elders who are men from the congregation who are not necessarily preaching all, all the time, though they have to be able to teach. They're not administering the sacraments, but they are still elders. And when I go to a, a session meeting or a board meeting in the language of this video, um, there's parity. There's no like one has a greater voice or a greater vote. Uh, this is something that you vote on. You, you vote on these things together. You decide these things together. Uh, and so the very idea of talking about it in this way, hey, well, if there are all these guys, like it just makes it hard for me to do what yeah. I want. So, well, it's right. kind of sometimes so a point. Yes. Yes. That is the point that you have to work with others without a doubt. That's the point. And you know, it's, and it's great that you're like, you know, I'm going to defend pastors, you know, who closed or did it Corona, you know, mitigations that you don't like because of their board, right? Like it's, the problem is not the pastors. The right. problem is the guys who are the other yep. guys, the other elders who are running the church. So, so let's listen to Driscoll talk about what uh, leaders leaders of men like Pastor Michael really need? Conflicts. I mean, most people, 
in, a non, in any nonprofit organization. They don't understand the complexity of a nonprofit government. And right. so right now, you know, I used to say we've gone from process leadership to pivot leadership. Process leadership is kind of get our annual cycle and our seasons and here's our schedule and we're, you know, we're scheduled out and we're budgeted out. This year it's pivot. I mean, it's literally like if you're a football fan, quarterback has to go up to the line, call an audible, call an audible, call an audible, call an audible, because you're like, are we open? Are we closed? Are we throttled? I don't know what that means, but yes. Well, it's just, it's changing the play at the last minute. And it's the freedom to make the adjustment. And a lot of organizations, they're built for process, not for pivot. So sort of like a giant nonprofit organization like uh, the federal government. A large nonprofit starts to function like the federal government. Right. Yeah. Well, Can't anything done? By the time you make a decision, the opportunity is passed. And that's what we've talked about. <laughs> yep. Those are always the ideal government. Give us We're a dictator. Just yeah. one guy. <laughs> I mean, that shows the problem, right? This is like, this is dictatorial thinking. It's totalitarian. It's not, it's not, it's not helpful. It's not actually beneficial. Process is actually extremely important. Now, right, should you Presbyterian have pastor. Can, yes, thanks. right. That's right. Process <laughs> matters. Yeah. Great. So this, this next clip is Driscoll talking about what happens though, and, and the ways that unwanted influences can take power in, in the church. But I talk to pastors all the time. And sometimes what happens is people on the left, you know, the cultural people jihadists, the they want to get in the board, they want to get on leadership because they actually <laughs> do then have the potential for some legal power and oversight in a way that they wouldn't in a for-profit company. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Uh, I got a call maybe a year and a half, two years ago, a pastor I didn't know very well, but he was out of state, very large church, like five, 6,000 people, uh, Bible teacher, been there like, let's say 30 years. And he called and he said, uh, Pastor Mark, I'm in trouble. Somebody said to call you because you've had a part-time job as a crash test dummy. So I'm the guy you call, you know? So, um, so he calls me and uh, he I'm I said, what's going to happen? get fired tomorrow if I, I preach my sermon. I said, what do you mean? He said, every year on Pro-Life Sunday, I preach a pro-life sermon. He said, uh, some people got on the board that are not pro-life, and they've told me that if I preach my typical pro-life sermon tomorrow, they've got the constituents lined up, they've got to vote, and they're going to get rid of me. He said, what do I do? I said, you preach the pro-life sermon every year for 30-ish years, sir. Die with your boots on. Yeah. I mean, at, at that point, if it's you either are going to change your message um, or you're going to lose your position, well, then lose your position. But don't right. change your message. And what happened to him? They fired him. They fired him. After 30-some years. Let me make a point about this before I throw it over to Pastor Michael this time. This is good advice to a person who finds themselves in a in trouble, in a trouble position in a church, in an organization. You die with your boots on. Yep. That That is good advice. And that is advice Driscoll should have taken. You know, he didn't. He did not. I was telling Michael this before we started. He did not die with his boots on at Mars Hill. He died while Rick Warren wore his boots, which is <laughs> maybe maybe the worst way to go out, baby. Again, it's these like cultural truisms. I do think that there is a tendency for those uh, who kind of long for bureaucratic control in these positions to to be the ones that there are problems with that. But again, this is us having hindsight about the ecclesiology of mega churches yeah yeah it's i mean it shows the problem with the ecclesiology that it would allow that kind of thing to happen um but at the same time i know i always have to be defending them all these videos we do i'm always trying to look at it from the best possible light uh i'll still laugh but i gotta think okay you know you do have it is good advice, right? Because if you have a guy who's in the position where, yeah, it'd be great if he were Presbyterian in his polity and he had recourse, right? Like he has a way, you know, okay, well this, this session uh, or 
this, you know, these board members unduly, uh, you know, had me fired because I preach a pro-life sermon. Okay, well, I'm just going to go to the presbytery. I'm going to appeal this decision to the presbytery and, and it's going to be dealt with there. And if not, then it might be appealed to the general assembly. Like there's, there are these, there, there is recourse and there is means of appeal. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so you wish that that were true, but the fact that it isn't true uh, in this situation means, yeah, okay. It's not an ideal situation. It's not going to be how it should be, which is Presbyterian, by the way. Right. <laughs> this this reaction pastor. brought to you by Presbyterianism and the wheat IPA I'm drinking. <laughs> uh, but uh, many people are in that kind of situation. And in that situation, what do you do? Yes. You stick to your convictions. You preach the truth. You don't listen to uh, somebody who is, wanting to uh, allow for abortion what somebody who's threatened by just the fact that you preach a sermon against abortion you don't let them dictate what you do you preach that sermon i would even call them out that's what i would have done you know like call out those people uh make make it clear but obviously in that kind of in that kind of setting maybe maybe you wouldn't want to do that i've never been a pastor of a six thousand person church where i'm like the guy and and the way you stick to your convictions man if if mars hill was what it was supposed to be is you go down there. You go down yeah, you there. You go down right? with it. You go down with it. And I think I uh, remember, I think it was Jerisco. Maybe it's someone else. Uh, I feel like I've heard this from quite a few guys. And I love the sentiment uh, where they say, you know, I want to I preach the... my own. Yeah, I want to oh, yeah. preach my own funeral. Oh, like I yeah. just want to preach it and then get in the casket. Every time. I want to go oh, down yeah. with this church. I think this next clip will be actually representative of what I think made this so interesting to a number of the of the people who voted. For. Well, the critical theory is literally, it is an anti-position. It is literally just a critique of whatever is built. So I think what you've got with a whole generation of younger evangelicals, sadly, I think that they have really joined critical Here's theory. The I, um, I mean, the Black Lives Matter hashtag, the, the statement is incontrovertibly good, but the political ideology and agenda behind it to dismantle the nuclear family, to remove cisgender, dual gender, they've rewritten their mission statement, you know. Um, Plus, where are cops going to put their knees? Yeah, so uh, I didn't say it. Um, but at the end of the day, yeah, that's where I jest. I jest. Yeah, that's where you get The man of the cloth didn't say it. I did not say it. I'm just saying, it's not like they have a knee rest. But this at the end of the day, it's, uh, right it's a whole generation show, that really <laughs> has been raised on social media and hashtags and and they, they pick their team early. And usually it's done very emotionally based upon some sort of, you know, YouTube video, social need, trending story. And so you're not looking at an age of real reflective critical thinking. It's just more impulsive emotional responding, which yeah. usually ready, fire, aim is not the best sequence. Right. This, so I picked this clip because I think this is why if you were watching this, you suddenly were disarmed by Driscoll, maybe even again. And I was a little bit because in this time where we see people seemingly making the worst trade possible of going going woke or accepting critical theory, Driscoll has just decided, hey, I'm coming out. I'm not doing any of that. And if you're a conservative, I'm a pastor for you. Yeah. And in, in a time where it feels like that's actually risky to say, even though this is, of course, the least risky place possible on the internet to say it. Yeah, right. He's definitely playing. I mean, you heard the joke, right? That he, oh, just horrible, uh, right? Like you're, you are playing to the audience for sure. Right. But it is, I mean, it is something that is going to uh, disarm you a little bit if you are concerned about the typical big evangelical leader who is moving in a social justice direction. 
and, and and so this is, I think, what is happening is Driscoll, as we've said, I think what he is maybe best at is reading the room. There is an open lane here for conservative evangelical pastor to just say, I'm not doing anything woke. And I'll pastor conservatives with their concerns. Yeah. Uh, these last clips that we're going to go through, I think, are where we get to the uh, the things most related to restless and and driscoll's past so uh let's let's take a look at these which goes back to that you said the book is available for free if people go yeah to uh, it's called uh christians might be crazy i'll give them a free copy if they go to realfaith.com and that's um and, and that is about what people had the, they had the, the biggest objections. issue with christians, the and objections then it, and then it's answering all the objections from a lot of the christian experts so i interviewed okay. ravi zacharias and wayne grudem and john piper oh. and al moeller and just this whole eric metaxas just a whole list okay. of people and they're all in there although piper's gotten some flack lately a little bit and he, he kind of you know i disagree with him I love John, and in the election cycle, it's uh, it's very interesting. I didn't mean to put you in the middle of any of that, but I know yeah. all of us here. You know, sometimes people don't realize because you know we go out in a, a wig, dressed like a lady, and uh, doing something silly. People don't realize that we actually do have uh, meetings on theology here, and we were all talking about that John Piper article, going like, ah, really disappointed in this because it's a guy who a lot of us followed here. I know John. I've known him for years. I haven't talked to him much in recent years, and I'm just at a point where, um, for me, I have gotten criticized a bit. Yeah, and. Uh, and some of it's deserved. Some of it's no. what would you say is deserved? Because I tell you what, I've looked at the criticism, and I and I don't know what third rails here as far as bringing up. So because you probably don't want people looking up the criticisms, but there were a lot of criticisms, and and most of the time when I looked into them, it made me like you more. I was like, well, hold on a second. That doesn't really seem like a serious criticism. That's that's not. Let me just pause it right there. He, <laughs> he imploded a ten thousand person megachurch, and that was like, ooh, attract. Wow. Yeah, that makes that makes me think that you're pretty cool. Um, <laughs> pretty the, sure that's the, not the criticism, right? He's talking about like the fact that he's like like loud and he talks about you know yeah. stuff very bluntly or something yeah. like that. It's a yeah. great opportunity. Tell us but, a little bit. Yep. So this is this is why this clip is just so relevant. I'd say the 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 Piper uh, article they're talking about. In case you've forgotten, is right before the election, Piper came out with an article, kind of criticizing both sides of the aisle. This problem. Um, I actually think it was very unclear thinking, uh, and obviously it was uh, not the kind of politics that uh, Crowder agrees with. But let's see. But let's see what Driscoll has to say. I just, I just couldn't handle it that it made him like him more. <laughs> the criticism he is found really, online. Like, that's that is a smooth way to get a you know question about the criticism in though is to say, oh well, I really like these things about you, but hopefully you'll answer now. Yep. It's just something I agree with. Um, what would you say are valid? What would you say if you could have a do-over? You know, what's been really interesting, what I was going to say is I love pastors, so I'm not going to critique anybody publicly. No, and that wasn't my goal. Yeah. But um, I started preaching, uh, I got saved at 19, became a Christian. God spoke to me, told me, Mary Grace, preach the Bible, train men and plant churches, audibly. I literally got my job description audibly from God. I didn't even know he did that. And uh, What do you sound like? I would imagine like he was in charge. Like <laughs> yeah, like... Uh, this is CNN, yeah, right? That guy. Um, and so then I started doing uh, Bible teaching. And then what was interesting is I happened to be in Seattle, reaching primarily college-educated young men, just as the internet came into existence. Mm -hmm. Which is so weird. If you can think about this, I got a communications degree from one of the top five programs in the country at the time, the Edward R. Murrow School of Communication, sure. before the internet. Yeah. Imagine a communications degree before the internet. It's totally irrelevant. It's like That's a driver's right. license before the car. Right. You're like, what did you drive? A dinosaur? Like, right. I mean, and so for I me, I have a horse and buggy license. I don't know if it translates. Exactly. It was as a class C. So I'm at the beginning. I mean, we were one of the. I was one of the first pastors to have a website where you could MP3 download the sermons for free. Yep. 
and I didn't know what the rules were. So I never, generally, I didn't, early on, I didn't edit any of my stuff. I just thought it was supposed to be, you know, you just be honest and put it all out there. Um, in addition, um, as the platform grew and grew and grew and, and all of that, um, it was a bit of an experiment to figure out, you know, where are the lines and how do you communicate? Because I'll be honest, one of the reasons that people don't listen to Bible teachers is there's no humor and there's no entertainment value. Right. And we're in a day now of edutainment, <laughs> right. that, that uh, education is packaged in the format what of entertainment. You know, and it started with, you know, there's the Colbert's and, and, and Bill Maher and the guys on the left that do it as well. And so, I Bill Nye, but yes. Yeah. And, and so for me, you know, I, I kind of started in that world uh, right. before we knew what the rules were. And, and as a young man, I said dead things that I regret. A lot of things that I've been accused of. I really look forward to standing before Jesus and getting the all clear. <laughs> Uh, I sleep like a Calvinist on Benadryl is what I tell my friends. Okay, so, so he's going to get into Calvinism and that's where we'll leave it. Cause that, that is the, the essence of restless, but he didn't say anything, right? No, I'm, so we're just this, not doing that. We're not doing right. that at all. What, what, what criticisms are valid? Well, you know, I was young and it was just new to the internet. We didn't really know what we were doing. So like, these aren't, these aren't Sometimes things he's the using. website didn't look as right. good as it could have. Yeah. Like he's giving like these things that are not criticisms and they're like justifications for how he lived and acted. And yeah. then he's like, and look at all this success I had, you know, like his, he's literally like, what, what are the valid criticisms? Well, I did a really good job and I'm really funny. <laughs> You know, and, and even better, <laughs> God audibly told me to do all those things. So right. bada bing, bada boom. Yeah, right. I I'm didn't know it. that God did that. Well, he does it. So I just, <laughs> in the, the minute after God told me to do this and he sounds like the guy on CNN. Yeah. What? <laughs> like what? Yeah. Was, oh this, man. You had, I, I mean, it was just, it was just unbelievable that, right. And it's like, eh, I'm just not going to criticize people. Come on, dude. <laughs> like, yeah. Nah. Yeah, I, it's pretty unbelievable that um, right he he found a way to tell the whole story without actually explaining anything that happened or a single criticism that was ever made against him. No, seriously, like they, there was no criticisms that he talked about were valid. He just said, "Well, I'm basically a really cool guy." <laughs> can Can you tell me what you think about edutainment? Because I, again, I think that we've talked about this. This is the danger of the church needing to entertain people. I do think that's what people kind of want. And that yeah, might kind of totally. be what we're doing on this podcast. Yeah. I think it's extremely countercultural to not think that what you need to do say in preaching is give a little bit of a comedy routine, you know, make, make people laugh, make them feel at ease. And that might come out once in a while, but uh, this is, I'm actually, I'm just, so I'm just starting to read amusing ourselves to death. I think that his critiques of just, entertainment in general, the entertainment culture that especially as it surrounds news media, and he's writing in 1985, I think that that's even just more true today. So everything has been trivialized by the fact that it has been turned into entertainment. Uh, Driscoll is very good at drawing a crowd and at getting people to listen to him and follow him. And that's what he's doing, right? And so if you say yes, like what preachers need to do uh, is just get a following, well, then he would be right that that's how you do it. If that was the purpose, like if that's the purpose of what you're doing, is that that's what ministry is, is just getting a crowd, uh, then that would be fine. But uh, what actually matters far more is what you're preaching, what you're doing, like the content of what you're talking about. Right. So in our last clip, 
Crowder asks Driscoll, probably because he knows on some level this is one of the things that Driscoll was famous for. He asked him about this whole Calvinist thing he's into, right? And in the last clip, you heard him make kind of one of his Calvinist jokes, right? I sleep like a Calvinist. Here, here, Crowder, right? He is asking you about doctrine on his show. And so let's see how it goes. All right. Yeah. Well, then maybe that's because you're a Calvinist who sometimes uses Benetron. <laughs> yeah. Which um, that's something we could talk about for all Calvinism and five point Calvinism and this idea of predestination. That's something we've talked about on this show where I think a lot of people get it wrong. Well, so let me say this too. Part of the reason that um, that some branches of evangelicalism or Protestantism or Calvinism that they're getting into critical theory and some of the social justice stuff, which is really curious because it's about repenting of their sin, not your own, right? And it's about pers- you know organizational failures. It's the, it's the you first failures. confession. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so within that though, part of the reason that that's appealing right now, Protestantism is a protest. Right. It starts with the same spirit as critical theory. Mm-hmm. And that is who or what? what I'm against. Right. Oh, man. And so if you don't transition as a Protestant back to your message and your mission and you stay in that disposition of critic and protest, then you are kindred spirit with critical theory and the social justice movement, which hijacks the gospel. Right. Yeah. And that's what's that's what's going on. That's why a lot in the reform world are starting to go social justice, critical theory. You say, right. why is that? Because if these guys are protesting and these guys are protesting, eventually the protests merge together into a mega protest. Right. They align. <laughs> Until your church gets burned down and the president shows up with a photo op having you nailed with beanbag shotguns, which I won't lie, I laughed. What that happened there at the uh, Episcopalian church when they were, do you remember they were, it was on fire? They're going, Donald Trump showed up and they were, they were all peaceful protesters. I'm going, I just saw the steeple on fire. <laughs> yeah. I just watched it ablaze. Well, and God bless the Episcopalians, but let's just say that their doctrinal statement is in pencil. You know, I mean, these are not people that are real solid <laughs> right. on essentials and going to. Sorry, I just, oh, I, I, I kept the clip going just so we could get that Episcopalian joke. Yeah, because right that's, that's a pretty but good one. How about that? Pastor Michael, you are of the same spirit as the critical theory. Right. What a like what a childish understanding of the past. Like literally just saying, well, Protestantism, like it just means to protest. Unbelievable. Uh, Like go read any of the reformers, read any of the Protestants. What were they trying to do? They were not trying to just protest. They were not trying to just destroy things. They weren't trying to just uh, break things down. The the same spirit as the critical theory. It just drives me nuts. The inanity of this answer blows my mind. Like, this, right, he has just asked you your thoughts on Calvinism. If you want to disown it, man, go ahead. Just do it. Just just call it a day. That's all right. But he knows the last time he talked about the problems of Calvinism anywhere, there was this big internet, you know, kind of uh, backlash, which I think is also maybe why he refuses to say something like call out John Piper for something that he did or use somebody's names, because it will draw the kind of attention to him that he doesn't want. Right. It's going to draw negative attention as opposed to like right now, like he's just he's in full spin mode. Right. We got to draw all the the positive attention that we can. And and what he does here is something if he were willing to actually do it and not in this. Yeah, this. It's a protest, right? Even where did, we get the name Protestant from the princes in the Holy Roman Empire who refused the the Catholic requirements. That's where the word Protestant comes from because they were protesting that. It, it was not a, it just, it's, I mean, it's obvious. Again, it's, I think you know this, right? I think you know, like, this is what blows my mind is I think you know this. But, but again, the concerning part is you are 
you've decided to dis like you're trying to distance everyone from Protestantism. That's bad. And what he does that could have been helpful is he says, I wonder why all the reform people are starting to go woke. And this is, and this I believe is the actual, this is the draw that's supposed to come to you and to me. Probably not to you. You're an ordained pastor. I'm just a guy. Hey man, don't you, don't you kind of hate that a lot of the even new Calvinist guys are going woke, right? Don't you hate that? But, but I mean, again, whatever like credibility he could have earned by saying that again, he immediately loses by saying it's because these people are protesting, right? These people, (laughs) right? The idea, like even the idea that like just two groups of people protesting at some point, at some point they'll merge, right? What? (laughs) Like, I know they won't that's you know like yeah these, these people were protesting the 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 persecution of the position that faith alone saves as the instrument these people are protesting the entire system of policing eventually those things <laughs> will join together and and become a mega protest is of that the a Roman fascinating just comment though on like the way that driscoll sees the world as like a communicator as like somebody who like he's all about the movement the culture uh the way yep. things are going and not the substance like not right. the truth itself but how you present it all right so what pastors need is not just presenting the truth what they really need is it what matters is how they present it because they're kind of boring and they should you know they should entertain a little more they should be funnier uh like what matters is what you're doing, not the substance underneath it. And if that's actually true of the world, which it seems to be how he's looking at it, well, then, yeah, it doesn't matter what the substance is behind the protest. Eventually, because the, what they're doing is protesting, eventually they're going to merge. And so it, it, it all kind of comes uh, together in that way to me. Like, this is how he actually sees the world. This is what he believes the world is. It's just not true. Yeah, I think that this is what we see. We see the the problems of the the church leadership that was the problem in problems in this interview i think we see what was attractive to about driscoll in this interview i think we do see how he continues to see the world and i and i do again i think the and it, it sounds i mean i know it's not I know it's not what is kind of talked about in these kind of like be missional classes, but I think there is an open door in not on national stages, of course, but in, in local areas of people, you know, in, in these kinds of conservative circles, I do think maybe more so that there is such a desire for plain speaking. Yeah. Just There's right down the middle. A, just, just say it. And again, but the problem is, and the and this is what you're getting at. The problem is, is that while Driscoll has successfully created the persona that I'm just the guy that says it. Yeah. We watched this whole thing, and he doesn't and he do. He didn't that. say it. Right. This he doesn't. Is, just, this is the bravado, right? It's the that you talk about masculinity, and that is attractive because masculinity is impined all the time uh, by all these other leaders. So yeah, okay, we want to hear it, but it's just bravado. It's not real. It's all communication, no substance, right? It's it's all uh, it is all this, you know, uh, creating something that looks real, but actually there's no substance to it. Uh, you pretend like you're the straight talking guy, and yet you can't answer a simple question. Whereas what we have with Paul, 
Paul, who is educated, who is able to clearly kind of fit into kind of anywhere he goes, right? Paul talks about, I only, I, I made it my ambition to only know the cross of Christ, right? He, yeah. he decided that for the sake of the Corinthians souls, right? I'm going to do this in a way that is, does not work on a worldly level. Yeah. Because, Absolutely. because the, the precise thing of the gospel is at stake because how does God work, right? This is Paul's point in Corinthians one, because how does God work? He works by the cross. He does not work by uh, glory. He does not work in ways that we are naturally attracted to. He works in lowly and shameful things, right? He doesn't work through just one particular person, right? It's, it's not Paul or Apollos. It's no, it's God who's working. It's right. He's the one who's doing it. Well, this has been our Driscoll reaction. Hope you enjoyed it. Maybe it was we hope, huge. We don't know. Yeah, the only other thing to add is if you want to see us react to Matt Chandler's Jesus Wants the Rose, get our Facebook page to 100 likes and we will do a reaction to that. We're moving. I've seen a lot more likes lately. I've been getting a lot more notifications that we're getting likes. So we got to so be might moving be in that close. direction. We know uh, that's what you want. And if there are other clips, again, you have that you think um, will cause us to double over in laughter, please send them. We'd love to do them.